Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Bring your Bibles with you. Now, I'm a preacher. Everybody at Church Online, glad you're here and along for the ride as well. I'm a preacher uh, by style. Um, It's just who I am. Uh, I tried to not be. I tried to be a good teacher and sit on a stool and um, just kind of be really cool. And I even bought really cool rimmed glasses. And uh, I even wore like an influencer hat, you know, and just tried to be really cool. And I couldn't do any of that. So I'm just, I'm a preacher uh, by style. But... Over the next three weeks, would you give me permission to just teach you this series? Uh, as a pastor, there's, there's things I need to bring you that uh, i, I got to walk you through it uh, systematically and teach you through it. And so this is one of those topics I want to do. Let me start by telling you, you need to take good notes in church. People that don't take notes in church go to hell. That's in the Bible. That's actually not in the Bible. I lied about that first part. Uh, but you need to take good notes, and I think this is a series, if you've never taken notes in church, you need to take notes uh, in this series. Let me start by telling you the obvious. I'm not a doctor. I am wearing a white lab coat, but I am not a doctor. And listen, I don't pretend to be a doctor today. I'm not going to give you doctor stuff. I'm not going to give you biology. I'm not going to give you chemistry. I'm a pastor. People always, when they come to meet with me and they say, well, you know, Pastor, what do I do with all this? And then they get upset when I go to the Bible and I say, well, I think I would do it this way. And they go, well, you don't have anything else? Well, no. <laughs> you came to a preacher. What did you expect me to do? You know what I mean? Like, this is, we're going to go to this. I think, I think this book has the answer to everything in our life. Say amen to that. So we're going to go to God's Word. And I'm, I'm not uh, minimizing um, the biology, and we'll get into that uh, momentarily. But I'm not a doctor. I'm going to speak where the Bible speaks. I'm not going to speak where the Bible doesn't speak. Um, and I want, you to know, I want you to know that over the next three weeks, I'm going to help you spiritually. Um, the second thing I want you to know just before I dive in is that everybody's walked this road. Everybody. Everybody. It, 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 there are only three types of people in the room today. Someone who's walking out of a season of darkness and depression. Uh, somebody who's in a season of darkness or depression. Or you're about to walk into a season of darkness or depression. Somebody said, Pastor, that's not very positive. Okay. I'm positive. You're either in a season of depression <laughs> or you're walking out of one or you're about to walk in one. That's, I'm positive. The Bible says it like this. The days of man are few and full of trouble. That's just the way it is. All right. There's just everybody's. And listen, including me. Including me. Matter of fact, next week, over the next couple of weeks, uh, I, I hope Brandy uh, and I will be able to share a little bit of the story we walk through with anxiety and depression. And I mean real. I mean a hospital visit. Okay? I mean, I mean real depression and real anxiety. And it's, it's very real and it's very prevalent. I don't want you to miss a week. I'm asking you for the next three weeks. Matter of fact, I wouldn't miss. I'd have perfect attendance from now till Christmas uh, because we, we got depression uh, for the next three weeks that you need this you need this, this series called Out of the Cave and then, out of the, uh, then at the movies and then we're in the Christmas season. Who would miss church at Christmas? And so uh, I would just be here all three weeks especially. Let me start by telling you this. 2020 happened and it happened despite my best efforts for it not to happen. So March, I remember this clearly, March the 3rd, uh, I wasn't here, I was preaching somewhere else, I was in another church service, somebody was here preaching for me, and we were in church though, and 
And then I got on a plane, flew to Washington, D.C., uh, had some ministry there, get back uh, into town, preach the next weekend, um, and then um, my kids are on spring break. And so we take our kids just locally to, to, to a, a, a small getaway for a couple of nights. And I remember distinctly Brandy and I in a hot tub, and there were some other uh, couples there in the hot tub we'd met, and they were from Houston, from the Katy area. And I remember, I remember them getting a te- one of the, the women get a text message on her phone, true story. And she said, oh, my gosh, they just closed Katy ISD, like this huge independent school district. And, and I remember the feeling of, I didn't think it was that bad. Does anybody remember March 2020? It was 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago today, <laughs> that March 2020. And I remember thinking, well, this is, this is crazy. They're overreacting. There's no way. This isn't going to last long. And then, and then we had church that Sunday. That was March 13th. March 15th, we had church. We're the only church in Bernie, Texas with our doors open. There were nine people there. I mean, it was just terrible. Most of you didn't come because you were all freaked out, and we probably shouldn't have been there. But we were, and we had church. And there we are, and, and then the whole world shut down. And I remember standing in line at H-E-B at 6 in the morning to get toilet paper. Because why in the world did y'all buy so much toilet paper? And I, I just, I, But I remember telling myself, Jeremy, that we're going to get out of this by Easter. And I even said it out loud. Like I would say, hey, this is going to be over with was Easter. And this is going to be resurrection. It's going to be amazing. This is going to be the best resurrection Sunday we ever had. And then, nope. Jesus got out of the grave, but we stayed at home. All right? <laughs> All of y'all stayed right at the house. There was a stone rolled in front of my door. Everybody was still at home. And then I remember thinking, okay, well, Easter's coming and gone, but it's going to be over with by the summer. Ain't nobody going to be nothing in the summer. And, and I'll be, if we are, we st- there we were in the, in the summer. Everybody was still at home. I remember we tried to go back to church in June. We actually opened our venue, but as a portable church, you're kind of uh, dependent on the, the, you know, the area. And you don't, we, don't, we don't own our own building yet. We're about, did I tell y'all we got our own building, everybody? So anyways. So we're never going to shut down again when we get in there. But we had to. Show, so I remember going back to church in June, and then the the godly, God fearing mayor of San Antonio. Pause for effect. Uh, he uh, he sent out a directive that we all had to shut down our churches again, and so we did that till August twenty third. And then I remember telling myself, "Well, when school starts back, it's it's over with. Like we're going back." And then school started back, and it wasn't over. Now I remember December twenty twenty, thinking next year it's got. This is my year. We're closing the door. Twenty twenty is over. Twenty twenty one comes, and now it's a variant. And now it's Delta. And now it's still here. Everybody, look at me. It's Halloween, twenty twenty one, and we're still talking about it. Everybody, and we just got to be honest. It happened, and it happened to everybody. Heard somebody say it this way. Uh, we're, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. So we all walked through the same storm. We're still in the same storm, actually. Our boats are different. Some people really, really, really were just capsized by what happened over the last 21 months. Some people have weathered it better. Some people have lost a lot. But it happened to all of us. Say amen. And, and so I was studying about just what happened in this season and, and we can get into the politics and what happened to the economy. By the way, all of that's part of God's plan. Don't you dare think God has abandoned anybody. This is all a part of the plan of God. Jesus is coming back, everybody. And we're going to have revival before Jesus comes back. There are going to be millions and millions of people who the light bulb goes off and they realize my hope never was in government. My hope's always been in God. Say amen to that, everybody. <laughs> all right, that was for free. That wasn't even in my notes, but... I was reading about what happened during this year, and uh, uh, I I read that in 2020 alone, we don't have 2021 data yet, in 2020 alone, calls to mental health hotlines, so an 800 number, 
a mental health hotline, calls increased 900% in one year, year over year. In the year 2020 alone, divorce filings increased 26%. 26% in a year. So y'all, y'all got lucked up with that old dude and you said, I don't, I don't want to be with you no more. I, usually I'm at work, but now I'm at home and I don't like you. And, and, and Anyway, and, and it created all this relationship struggle and strife and 26% more divorces. I got this statistic from the CDC, and y'all know the CDC doesn't lie, that you can believe them for everything. No, I don't know. Don't laugh. This, listen, I'm being serious. The CDC says this, and the CDC also says you're supposed to cook your steak past medium rare. But that's another story. Anyways, the CDC said, true story, the CDC said in 2020, 25% of young adults considered suicide. That, that's not a biblical study. That's not like Barna Research. The CDC said 25%. One of four Teenagers under the age of 18 consider suicide. 10% of all Americans in 2020 considered had, had suicidal ideations where you could see yourself. You could, you could imagine a world without you. 10%. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Somebody. Statistically. It's, um, it's an epidemic. And... Um, and it's kind of taken over. And anxiety and depression, it's real. One out of every nine people are currently on some sort of antidepressant. One out of every nine people in America. At some point in their life, one out of every five have been. So currently, one out of every nine, but at some point, one out of every five has been. Antidepressant use has gone up 300% in the last decade. Depression in the last 10 years has become the number one killer in America. It now beats cancer and heart disease, depression-related illness. Everybody, we got to talk about it. And we got to, my apologies to honestly, I, I repent to you for not talking about it earlier because the church has to talk about this as much or more than anybody else has to talk about it. You say, well, why is that, Pastor? Why, why, do, why do you think you need to hear this from the church? Because God's Word has the answer for everything in our life. Because I'm not going to let anyone else define it. That's why I think you ought to talk about sexuality in church. Why? Because I'm not going to let the world define it. I want God's Word to define it. I'm not, I'm not going to let the world define what marriage is. I'm going to let God's Word define what marriage is. Are you with me, everybody? And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let the world tell me, how do I get out of anxiety? I'm going to go to God's Word and go, hey, I'm dealing with this. It's real. It's happening. It's, it's overwhelming. And I need a way out. And in Jesus' name, you can walk out of depression. Shout amen to that. You can. Yeah, I, I, uh, I come from a fluffy family. <laughs> um, I got, I'm, I'm a little heavy, whatever. Um, I'm shorter. If I was tall, I feel like I'd carry it better. But anyways, you ever, met somebody, you ever met somebody who's a little fluffy and they always tell you it's genetics while they're in the buffet line at Golden Corral? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? While there's, there's like four rolls on their plate and they're like, you know, I got this thyroid problem. <laughs> and you may. You may have a thyroid problem. But I don't know if that roll goes right to your thyroid. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I got, and I, this is me. I don't have a thyroid problem. Listen to me. I got a bluebell problem under this shirt. Are you with me, everybody? All right. It's not genetics. It's my choices. It, it, there may be something in my genetics predisposition to gaining weight. But honestly, there's a lot of stuff in me that I'm just doing. Now, let me, let me just be very upfront with you. I am not talking about biology. There are very real 
biological contributions to depression and anxiety. I am not minimizing it. It's very real. There are chemical imbalances that actually exist, and it's real. But science tells you, my research in this for this message, not just my thoughts or my hyperbole, I'm, science will tell you it is a minuscule amount that is actual biology. And if we allow biology to become the entire picture and medication to own the issue, then we miss the real solutions that God can heal us, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can be set free. Say amen to that, everybody. I am not going to let biology define. Write it down like this. Depression is usually not a malfunction of the mind. Depression is usually a signal. It's a signal, just like pain. Pain is a signal that I need to do something else, right? Pain's a gift that God would give us. When you cut your finger and it hurts, it's a gift so you don't keep cutting your finger till it falls off. Are you with me, everybody? It's, God, it's, the, it's the body's way of signaling, hey, whatever you're doing is not working. And depression almost always is not a malfunction of the mind biology. It is almost always a malfunction of my lifestyle. It's almost, it's trying to tell me something. Hey, 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 this isn't working. Your life isn't working. How this is work? your relationships, your schedule, your diet, your not, this isn't working. And I'm, I'm trying to give you a signal for this. And sometimes in American culture, we want the, the quick fix. Let me get out and blame my biology instead of doing the hard work of let me look at my lifestyle and see am I contributing to the depression and anxiety that I'm walking through. Are you with me, everybody? And I'm being honest, I'm not a doctor. So if you want the biology, you got to go to your doctor. I'm just going to tell you God's word. And God's word is this, that there are some things in my life contributing to my depression and anxiety. And there are some ways I can walk out of it. And in the middle of that, God would give me the strength and grace and healing and deliverance. And in Jesus' name, we're going to walk out of the cave and into the light. Everybody shout amen to them. If you're depressed, if you're anxious... If you've dealt with anxiety and depression in the last 21 months or 21 years, I got good news for you. Look at me. You are not crazy. You are not weak. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and reject the modern psychology theory that once you're an addict, you're always an addict. I, do, I, I know it's modern. I know it's the way the 12-step program tells you, but look into my eyes. It is diametrically opposed to this book to say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. This book says that when you come to Jesus Christ, all things become brand new in your life. Old things are passed away. All things become new. When you get born again, you get born again. Listen to me. It's not You are not crazy and you're not weak because you've walked in depression. You are not crazy and you're not a weak Christian and you don't just need to pray more. And that's what Christians usually tell each other. Well, if you were praying more, if you were fasting more, there's some stuff in my life that praying and fasting more isn't fixing. i got to change some stuff. i got to look at my life and change. There's some, if, if you're depressed and anxious, you're not weak or crazy, you're just a human being with unmet needs at some part of your life. 
There's an unmet need for rest or there's an unmet need for joy. There's an unmet need for peace. There's, there's something in your life that's unmet that's causing the depression. So the first thing you got to hear is depression is usually not a malfunction of my mind. Depression is usually a signal that I'm going through something that I need to change something in my life. Here's the second thing. There is a stigma on depression and mental illness that we think less of people. We think you're weak. We think something's wrong with you. Now, prior to COVID, we would never think if you got sick, you did something wrong. Now, we lost our minds in 2020 and we started blaming people like when you caught an airborne virus that somehow you didn't follow the rules. That's silly, by the way. Let me go ahead and say that and go on record on the internet by saying that. Just because you get sick doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You just people get sick. We have a false illusion in American culture that you're supposed to be well and whole all the time. People get sick. And there's still a 99.7% rate of recovery. Anyways, but besides all of that, no one ever says to you, because you got sick, you did something wrong. If you broke your leg, no one ever looked at you and goes, what's wrong with your bones? You've got the weakest leg bones. What's wrong with you? If you broke an arm, no one would ever go, that's a... That's the weakest arm I've ever seen. Why would your arm break like that? You need to do better. You just need to pull your arms together and do something better. You know what I mean? Like something's wrong with you. But listen, but when we walk through depression, Christians look at each other and go, what's wrong with you? Well, you just need to pull it together. You just need to do something better. You just need, you, you must be weak. Something must be wrong in your mind. And I got to be honest with you. There have been seasons of my life when I said the same thing. Just pull it together. Just, just, you can walk out of it. We understand when somebody gets physically sick. We don't think any less of them. And we got to remove in Christianity the stigma of depression and other mental health issues. Because if we're not careful, the illness of our mind becomes the identity. No one looks at a broken arm and says they're weak because their arm broke. Write this in your notes. Write this down. My illness, the depression, the anxiety, my illness is not my identity. I have walked through depression. That doesn't mean I'm a depressed person. I have walked, I deal with anxiety. That doesn't mean I'm anxious all the time. I have walked through dark seasons. That doesn't mean everything in my life is dark and going wrong. Are you with me, everybody? And in Jesus, I'm not telling you to reject medical science. I'm not telling you to reject your doctor. But in Jesus' name, I break off of you every label that somebody told you. You're just depressed. You're just anxious. You've just got mental illness. No, that's not who I am. I am who God says that I am. And I can walk in freedom. Say amen to that. I'm not talking about the, 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 the 2% of biology. I I'm I'm, I'm promise you, I'm not, I'm not minimizing. I'm just telling you, science agrees. It is a minuscule amount of chemistry and a maximum amount of lifestyle. And your illness is not your identity. You are not once depressed, always depressed. You are not once anxious, always anxious. Here, if you don't hear anything else, let me break that off of you. You are not crazy. Look into my eyes. I don't care who told you you're crazy. You're not crazy. Just because you walk through dark seasons. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to make. Somebody said, why did he come? I'll tell you exactly why he came. Galatians 5 and 1 said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
free. Jesus died on the cross, not just so you wouldn't go to hell. Jesus died on the cross so you could be free from all of that stuff that's got weighing you down, everybody. You don't have to walk around thinking, well, I'm supposed to be this way. I was born this way. I was prepositioned this way. This is just the way it's going to be. No, no, no. This isn't the way it's going to be. I don't care if you were even born that way. You were born again. And when you were born again, God set you free. I'm going to preach it till you believe it. And he that the Son has set free is free indeed. That ought to be liberating to you. You ought to hold your shoulders back because some of your fathers pointed their fingers at you and said, there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just a normal human being. You walk through seasons of depression. There, there are spouses who pointed their fingers at you and said, pull it together. You're not weak because you've had anxiety and depression. You're just a normal human being. A lot of great people in the Bible dealt with depression. Prophets dealt with depression. Jeremiah in the Old Testament wrote an entire book on his depression. He kept a journal of how depressed he was. And it was so important God put it in the Bible. Lamentations 3 and 17. Jeremiah writes it like this. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. You ever been there? Not, not just money prosperity. I've just forgotten what it's like to be happy. This is Jeremiah, a prophet. I, I don't have any peace and I don't even know what it's like to be happy. My splendor is gone. Catch this, Christians. My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. He actually says, God failed me. I had hoped God would come through. Now look at me, Christians. You ever pointed your finger at the sky and said, you did this? Why'd you make me this way? You knew my dad was going to leave. You knew the molestation would exist. You knew how angry my mother was. Jeremiah says, "My hope, I, I've, I've lost hope in God. Now you think you're crazy because you've dealt with depression. Jeremiah dealt with it just like you. I, I'm, I feel like everything. I remember my affliction. I remember all my wondering. I felt lost. I remember the bitterness and the gall. I well remember. Then he just sums it all up and he says, I was depressed. My soul is downcast within me. A prophet. The, in the New Testament, Prophets dealt with depression. Apostles dealt with depression. Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You wouldn't have the right side of your Bible had it not been for Paul from Tarsus. And he dealt with depression. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, he says it like this. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. In other words, I'm not hiding from you the stuff I've walked through. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Sometimes preachers act like there's no, I don't have any problems. Paul said, no, 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 I don't want you to be uninformed about this. We had troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, Paul kind of makes it a little bit nicer. He says, there's just troubles. Then he says, you know, when I think about it, we were under great pressure there. So much so it was beyond my ability to endure it. Listen, listen to what he says, that I despaired life itself. I would have rather died. He was suicidal just like Jeremiah. You're not crazy or weak. You're just normal. You just deal with what everybody else deals with. Prophets deal with it. Apostles deal with it. 
There's another man in the Old Testament. I want to wrap this series around uh, the life of an Old Testament character named Elijah. If you're new to the Bible, Elijah is a prophet. You'll see, uh, if you read, matter of fact, in your Bible reading, I'd, I'd like you to center your time in the next three weeks around 1 Kings. It's all about the life of Elijah. You'll see Elijah working through, especially uh, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 chapters. And Elijah has this amazing move of God in his life. Uh, 1 Kings uh, 18, uh, Elijah has these major victories. I don't have time to tell you all about it, but he's being, he's being taunted by the prophets of Baal. There are these false prophets, 850 false prophets of Baal that are there. And they're saying, if your God's the real God, then call down fire and have them consume. And if our God's the real God, then we'll call down fire. And they cut themselves and they, and they chant all day and they dance around and there's no fire. And Elijah dumps water three times on his sacrifice, digs a ditch around it, fills it up with water and he calls down fire from heaven God consumes it and he destroys and kills all 850 prophets of Baal an incredible major victory major miracle then the same chapter the second miracle Elijah had prophesied that the rain would stop for three years a span of three years there'd be no rain there was there was a three year drought there and then immediately after this Elijah prophesies the rain starts again and it comes two major miracles in his life these incredible Spiritual victories. And one chapter later, Elijah's in the valley of depression. And I want to I give you this series around this passage. 1 Kings 19. There's a wicked king named Ahab. Ahab is married to a woman named Jezebel. She's the queen. You thought Jezebel was a made-up name you'd just call your mother-in-law. That's, it's actually in the Bible. Jezebel, Jezebel's this evil queen married to this evil king named Ahab. And she does not like Elijah, especially after he just killed 850 of her prophets. Now, here's where we pick up. Now, Ahab, the weak husband, tells Jezebel, the mean wife. I didn't write it. That's just what the Bible says. Now, Ahab tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This weak, anemic king goes and tattles to his wife. And his wife gets all flared up and mad. Now, I don't know any women like this. But anyway, Jezebel gets really upset about all of this. And Ahab just kind of stokes the fire with his wife. I'm just reading you the Bible. I didn't make it up. But every word here is important. Catch this. So Jezebel sent a messenger... To Elijah. Look at me. Did Jezebel send a killer to Elijah? Did Jezebel send an assassin to Elijah? Did Jezebel send an army to Elijah? Did Jezebel... I'm going to keep asking until you say no. Did Jezebel send uh, uh, somebody out to get... Did, did she send uh, like this strong force of elite special guards to Elijah? She sent a text message. To Elijah. It's amazing how little it takes to get me into depression. It's amazing how one comment on my Facebook could derail all of this. Now remember, one chapter ago he's got these two gigantic spiritual victories. And now she sends a messenger. She doesn't even send an assassin. She sends a messenger to Elijah. She says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. By this time tomorrow, I will make your life like one of them. In other words, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. All she did was send a mail carrier. <laughs> and Elijah was afraid 
and ran for his life. <laughs> and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, I don't have time to teach it to you, but Beersheba, it's important that he goes to this town because this is the town where he surrendered his call to God. This is the town. Beersheba is the place where Elijah said yes to God's call on his life. He goes back to that place and he basically tells God, hey, um, I'm out. He goes back to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. That's important. And he goes by himself a day's journey into the wilderness. Uh, if the devil can't get you in church, he'll get you separated from other people. And when he gets you separated and isolated, that's when he'll attack you the most. So he goes by himself into the wilderness. He comes to this little low uh, broom bush. It's a small tree that he could sit under. and hide. It's, uh, the, the leaves almost touch the ground. He can almost hide underneath it. He sat under it and he prayed that he might die. Now listen, I know I'm making light of this, but I have prayed this prayer in the last 21 months. I have asked, I have said this phrase to God. God, I have had And he's in Beersheba, the place where he told God he would go. And he goes back to that place and he says, okay, I'm out. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I can't stay married. I can't keep serving. I can't, I, I just, I've had enough. I feel overwhelmed. Just take my life. Just kill me now. You ever, you ever prayed that way? Just take me, like... This is it. And then he says this silly thing on the, end of the, uh, on the end of his prayer, which I'll get to in a minute. But he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. He just, <laughs> sometimes when you're in depression, you'll just say crazy. Oh, yeah, and, and the spurs lost. And our pets' heads are falling off. Dumb and dumb reference. Anyway, I, I just, he, he just goes crazy. He just, I just, I'm out. I'm done with it. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had enough. I'm ready to die. Here's Elijah. For three years, he is fearless. He walks around for three years with mighty miracles. He's caused the rain to stop. Then in one uh, day, he causes 850 prophets to fall. I mean, he is in, he's on the top of the spiritual spectrum. And at one Day, in one message, he turns and runs to the edge of the desert and gets depressed. Here's what I know. Some of my darkest seasons are immediately after some of my biggest victories. And if you look back in your life, some of the hardest things you'll face, and I'll tell you why next week. I actually, I think I, I think I've pinpointed why, but some of the hardest things that you'll face are right after spiritual, some of the hardest uh, fought victories that you have in your life. I get most depressed and tempted on Sunday nights. I'm, I'm, this is me, I'm telling you. Because I come to here and the place is full and, and the place is rock and the presence of God's here and people are getting saved and people are taking next steps and then I go home and I start, uh, there's just this dark cloud. Why in the world would Sunday night be that time? I've actually had to change my lifestyle. Like we've had to alter how, what we do. I can't just go home and go straight to bed and take a nap like all of y'all can because I'll wake up in just this dark 
cloud and funk. And I, because I know, I know that's when the enemy approaches, that's when it's worse for me. I got a group of guys that we talk on Sunday nights and we don't talk about church. I love y'all, but we don't talk about y'all because we'll just all get depressed and we'll, we'll just all start thinking about who wasn't there and why it wasn't happening. But so we'll talk about everything else. We'll talk about uh, uh, why people still support the Cowboys. Who would do that? And we talk about what, why UT's got a terrible football team and just, you know, just important things. Just things that we just, just to, because I know. After my greatest spiritual, in 21 days of prayer, do you believe this? When Brandy and I fight the most, when we face most in our marriage and in our family and in my children is every January and August. Because I'm in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now we fight usually because I'm dumb and she's not. And so I do dumb stuff. That's the primary reason. But it, I'm just telling you, we're in the middle of a spiritual season. D- dozens of people are fasting and praying. D- there are people at 6 o'clock every morning just on their face to God. And I'm facing hell in my life. Why? Because it always happens at my, right after my greatest spiritual victories. Listen, it's amazing how we end up in the cave so quickly. And, and most scientists agree there are nine causes for depression. Seven of them are psychosocial, lifestyle. Two of them are biological. Let me, let me tell you that again. Science tells us there are nine causes for depression. Seven of them are external factors. Only two of them are biology. Now, if you watch enough news, you'll start to believe that everybody's got chemical imbalances. There's this minuscule amount of reason why we have depression and anxiety is biology. The overwhelming majority of it is what I've done to myself. It's my lifestyle. And I think Elijah had at least six of these in his life. I don't have time. i got six minutes left. I can't preach all six of them to you today. I'm going to give you probably three today if I get through that, and then I'll catch it up uh, t- tomorrow. Most of the reasons, I'm sorry, next week, most of the reasons why we're depressed is not our genetics. Look at me. It's our lifestyle. It's our lifestyle. I'm doing it to myself. And I, I got to make a statement to you that some of you, some of you Christians are going to, you're, you're going to disagree with, but I want you to hear me out. There is no amount of medication or counseling or Bible reading or preaching that will substitute you changing your life. I'm going to say that again so you catch it. There is no amount. They can't increase the dosage enough. There's no amount of medication, counseling, scripture reading, church attending, serving, giving that will make up the difference for you changing your life. Just deciding I'm going to have a different life. So let me give you what I think. I think that he had six. Let me give you, the, I hope to get through the first three today on, on how Elijah ended up in depression and how you and I end up in depression. Here's number one, write this down. I think it's life imbalances. Life imbalances. Johan Harry in his book, Lost Connections, the, the Real Source of Depression said, we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances in the way that we lived. Elijah's depression comes right after two major spiritual victories. He is tired. Look into me. He is exhausted. He is vulnerable. He is raw. And it reminds you and me we are not at our best when we're tired. We are not at our best when we are vulnerable, when we're too exhausted. Look at my eyes. You don't have to play all four sports. Your kids are not that good and they're not even that important. They're going to leave you at 18 and not come home. 
Quit pretending they're going to the NFL. They're pudgy and can't run. They're not going to the NFL. Stop with six nights a week. Stop with working 60, 70, 80 hours a week for overtime. Your house is plenty big enough with what you got. We got enough. You, when you get tired and you get exhausted, it is the recipe for depression and anxiety in your life. I am most acceptable when my life is out of balance. It is not my genetics. It is my calendar. Say amen anyway. It's my calendar that's doing this to me. You need to calendar some stuff in your life. You need to schedule your time with God every single day. You, need to, you are not too busy to pray. You're not too busy to read the Bible. You're not too busy to fast once a week. You're not too busy to go to God. You're not too busy to have a devotion. You are not too busy not to be in a small group. When people leave our church and they send me an email about the reasons they leave, the first thing I look for is were you serving on a team and were you in a small group? Because more likely, they're going to say things like I just didn't feel connected you can't feel connected if you don't change your life and show up on a Tuesday morning with a bunch of men at breakfast and get in a group is that too hard? I'm just trying to pull you out I got to pull you out of the cave and out of the dark it's not genetics it's your schedule just schedule time with God. Schedule church. Guess what? We do it every single Sunday. Every six days. You can predict it. We're going to do it again next week. Guess what time? 9 and 10.30. Just schedule it. Set an alarm. Show up early. Come to worship. Raise your hands. Sing. Cry. Serve. Tithe. Just schedule it. Just decide. I'm out of balance and I'm in control. My God, I'm going to preach right here. I'm in control of my life. My brain doesn't make me disconnected from you. My schedule does. My brain doesn't make me lonely. I'm too busy. So get unbusy. You can think I'm crazy, but I refuse to preach a suicide funeral of people who could control your life. Just decide. I'm, i gotta, I got to cut some stuff out. I'm too tired. And when you get done with church on Sundays, go to the lake. Not in the morning, after church. (laughs) Take a nap. You need to eat your best meal on Sundays. I believe this. This is Sabbath. You need need to rest. You need to decide. My life is out of balance. Research shows that depression is more prevalent for the type of lifestyle that we have in our society. I just read this book called The Depression Cure. Stephen Elardi, the author, said it like this. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially distanced... I didn't write that. That's it. Socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. We were not designed to be this busy. And Elijah gets depressed when he's tired. Just rule your calendar. Ecclesiastes says it like this. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Well, pastor, I've got more days. I've got another hand. Yeah, but if you fill that other hand up, it's going to come with a price. So I would rather have this hand. I'd rather be happy in my 1,800 square foot home and not working 100 hours a week than I would try to get a 3,000 square foot home and have both hands full and stressed to the max about paying the mortgage. 
I'd rather be able to be generous and tithe than I would stretch myself so thin to try to buy a vehicle to impress you and you don't even care. Are you with me, everybody? I'd rather have one handful with peace and tranquility than two handfuls chasing up. Are you with me, everybody? I promise to calm down and I can't. See, I I can't do it. Our life is out of balance. Number two, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you ways to walk out. I'm giving you the causes of our depression. Our life is that. Number two, we compare ourselves with each other. Comparing ourselves with others is a killer to your peace. Theodore Roosevelt said it like this, Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. You remember that crazy thing that Elijah said at the end of his prayer? He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. You know what that was? Comparison. I'm just like them. I'm just, they did this, I did this. This is Look at my life. And he's comparing his life to their life. And it's a thief of joy. We live, listen, one of the biggest issues of our day, we live in this narcissistic society that we lack personal identity. And social media has done it to us. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I feel about it. We live in this crazy world that we were never designed to live this way with this much input. And instead of mentoring the way it's supposed to be, we mentor in peer-to-peer mentoring. That means you go online and you try to find somebody like you, and you compare what you have with what they have, and if they have better, now you feel less than. That's comparison. Their house is better. Their car is better. You take a three-day vacation to Corpus Christi, and you come back rejuvenated, but you get on Facebook, and you see a friend. They took a three-week Mediterranean cruise, and now you feel like your vacation was less, even though your vacation filled you up. Why? Because comparison is the thief of joy. You were never meant to have mentors that are peer-to-peer. You were never meant to compare yourself this way mentoring was supposed to be if I'm 30 years old and I just got married I need to find a 60 year old couple who's been married a long time who can mentor me and tell me hey what's some pit stops and where where do I go and tell me how to make this right but we don't do that we decide to go to social media and look at other 30 year olds and see how they're doing and compare my life to how their life is and most people I just, I just read this article that most people in high tech don't allow their children the technology that they, that they invented. They don't allow their children to be on Facebook. And why would you let a 12-year-old on Instagram to compare her body to somebody else's? And then wonder why she sits in her room in the dark all the time depressed. Is that too hard? You're a school teacher. Is that too hard? Are they dealing with it in middle school? Have we created this environment of competition and comparison? And it leads to anxiety and depression. Galatians 6 and 4 says, Each one should test their own actions. It's about me. Then you take pride in what I... I'm not competing against you. I'm competing against me. I'm getting better every day. I'm doing better every day. Without comparing themselves to somebody else, everybody should carry your load. The stuff you have. The stuff in your life. We live By self-comparison. And I'm just telling you brothers and sisters. It causes depression and anxiety on levels we were never meant to walk through. Here's the third one. i got to stop. See I had six. Y'all wouldn't have stayed here for all six. Here's the third one and I'll close. I think life imbalances cause depression. I think comparison to other people causes depression and anxiety. Here's the third one. It's ruminating and self-talk. It's ruminating and self-talk. Do you, know what, um, do you know what ruminating is? Ruminating is actually an agricultural word. It's, um, you ever heard of a cow chewing the cud? 
Okay, let me tell you what that means. Rumination is a scientific, it's a, a, a biological word. It's where a cow chews grass, eats grass, swallows it. It's in its stomach. Regurgitates it back up into its mouth. Chews it again. Swallows it in its stomach. Throws it back up into its mouth. Chews it again. Swallows it. You following me? Throws it back up. Chews it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the grass gets better or worse over time? And every time you swallow a thought and you spit it back up and chew on it a while, do you think that thought gets better or worse? Then you start having self-talk. You ever had an argument after the argument and all the good points that you wanted to make come to you too late? I should have said that. Let me let, me let you in a little spiritual secret. I'm just a pastor. I don't, I'm, I'm not a little spiritual secret. The devil doesn't know your thoughts. He just doesn't. Like when somebody says the devil's attacking my mind, he can't. He doesn't know your thought. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. All the devil knows is what comes out of your mouth. So he's listening. He's just sitting around waiting for you to say, I should have said. I, I could have. Well, they hurt me. But that's why we, that's why gossip is so bad. That's why negativity is so bad. Because it comes out of your mouth and the devil goes, ha, 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 got him. Got him. Now, now there's an offense and now there's hurt and you keep regurgitating and you keep chewing and you keep ruminating and then you talk yourself into it and now you've decided nobody likes me, nobody's for me, nobody's there. I'm crazy. I'm just this way. I was born this way. And you keep saying it over and over and over and rumination focuses your attention on the symptoms of my distress instead of the, sympt- instead of the, the, the opportunity I have for a solution. We obsess over the situations in our lives. We obsess over the relationships. We obsess all of this and the devil shows up and this is what Elijah does listen he leaves his servant there and he goes to get alone with his thoughts and when you get alone with your thoughts you'll wind up in depression and anxiety Brian Tracy the author said 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself Psychologist, author Brian Tracy. 95% of your emotions are determined by just what I say to myself. That's why Philippians, the Bible's always had the answer. I'm done. I know we're late. That's why the, the Bible's always had the answer. Philippians says it like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if there's anything in your life that's excellent or praiseworthy, chew on that. Cough that stuff up and talk about that. Think about that stuff. Think about such things. If my mind's going to be preoccupied, don't let it be preoccupied with what's wrong. Let it be preoccupied with what's right. I don't have the house I want, but I got a house. I don't have the truck I want, but I got a truck. I don't, I don't have the marriage I want, but we're still together and we're making it. I don't have the job I want. We don't have as much money as we want. We don't have everything. But I'm not going to focus on what I don't. I'm going to focus on what I do. And when you do, it's amazing what happens. Listen to me. I'm done. It's ama- I, I have quoted this scripture wrong all my life, Jason. I used to say, if you'll think about what's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, if you'll think about it, then the peace of God would be with you. That's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible, look in my eyes, the Bible does not say the peace of God will be with you. It says the God of peace will be with you. God doesn't just give you his peace. God says, I'll show up myself. And that's what I need to get out of the cave. I need God to show up. You need God to show up. We need God to show up in our lives. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I did it to myself. God, I'm coming to you with an open heart. God, I repent for all that stuff I blamed. My genes and external stuff and my family. And No, it's probably just some choices I'm making, my lifestyle. God, I'm sorry for how my schedule's out of balance. God, I'm sorry for all the times I've tried to lead out of empty. I repent to this church the messages I've preached where I wasn't full I was tired God I'm sorry for all the comparison all the times I've looked Instagram and Facebook somebody else's highlight reel and I've compared my miserable life this pushes me further into the darkness God I repent for um for all the internal dialogue where I've chewed up and spit back up hurt, offense, problems, negativity. God, I'm going to walk out of this cave and um, I'm going to do it because you're with me. Because the God of peace is here Nobody's looking around if that's you. If one of these three, I got three more, I'll preach them next week maybe. If, if that's you, if one of these three is you and you want to be included in this prayer, just boldly just put your hand straight in the air. Say, it's me. It's me. Hands up everywhere. It's me. Hands up all over the place. Couples with their hands up. I've, I've been there. This is where my depression, my anxiety is coming from. It's, it's not all of it, but it's stemming from some of this. So God, with my hand in the air, I just want you to know I'm sorry. God, I'm going to change my life. Because the God of peace is here. God, you're going to give me strength. That's what I love about this scripture is, God, you don't just give me your peace. You actually come alongside me. Holy Spirit, you walk with me. You give me the strength to do this. You give me the power to overcome this. I claim that power today. Come on, with everything you've got in you, this final prayer. God, I claim I'm walking. I'm stepping into the light. I'm stepping out of the cave. I'm stepping into balance in my life. To God, to finding rhythm in my life that's more sustainable and pace. God, I'm stepping out of comparison. I'm stepping into value. And God, I, I know who I am through Christ Jesus. I, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High King. I thank you that my value comes from God, not from anybody else. God, I'm walking out of rumination and self-talk. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. God, I thank you. I'm stepping into the light and out of the cave. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody shout a big amen. Come on, give God praise for his word, everybody. 
Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.